So welcome to this week's edition of the Retail Risk Podcast, sponsored by Axis Communications. Thanks always to our supporting partner, 3X Logic. Now, special guest this week, uh, Mr. Mark Crowley, Group Director of Risk Customer Care at the Theopathetis Retail Group. Now, Mark has a vast array of retail experience across retailers such as Gap, Arcadia, Burberry. And prior to Theopathetis, uh, he was Head of Profit Protection for John Lewis. Now, a leading figure for many years in UK, European, and even global retail risk and loss prevention circles. Mark is a regular supporter of industry events and can be seen sought out by his peers for advice, insight, uh, and occasionally uh, the good joke as well uh, on all of the challenges that they are facing. So Mark, delighted to have you uh, on as a guest this week. Thanks, Paul. Great to be here. And as you know, always love retail risk events and love listening to the podcast. So great to take part. Yeah, super. Now, um, an amazing CV, a glance through LinkedIn, uh, gives an insight to things that you've been up to, but we're not going to talk about that just there. Way back when, young Mark at school in his short trousers, peering out of the window, what was the actual intended career? What, what did you want to do way back when? Well, ironically, similar to uh, a lot of people that joined our industry way back when, I actually wanted to be an army officer in the parachute regiment. The irony of that is I'm scared of heights uh, and I've jumped out of a plane on my own and it was a great feeling, but I didn't particularly like it. So a bit of a strange uh, one to want to do, in all honesty. And, and so did you, did you sort of start to go down that route? Did you take the Saturday job stacking shelves somewhere? How was the... How was the dial? Transition, yeah, yeah. Like most, I needed uh, some beer and paint money, as you like, when I was at university. And so I was doing a bit of officer training whilst at university. And I was also started working in Gap as just a sales advisor. And one of one of our peer group that you probably know from America, uh, Australia, Rob Mill. Oh, sorry, let me redo that bit because I've got his name wrong. That's my team. Um, so I started uh, when I was at university, just working in Gap as a sales advisor. And a chap you probably know from your Australia circuit, Rob Evans, was the loss prevention manager at the time at Gap. And he really started teaching me some of the basics of loss prevention. And I really enjoyed it. And then there was a part-time job that come up. Uh, and I went into that, catching shoplifters, really working on what stock losses in stores. And I, I just started to enjoy it. So I deferred I deferred uh, joining Sandhurst, et cetera, and never left loss prevention. And that was quite a number of years ago so like many of us I think I fell into retail happened into loss prevention uh, I've grown a little bit out of it since in in some ways but I've never left Paul mm. and, and I guess all yeah all the benefits of uh, uh of, of chasing the uh, the bad guys and girls making a difference but without having to jump out of an airplane so uh yeah all the upside none of the downside yeah definitely it, i always say you know and i've got a lot of friends and we know people in industry that have all got great military service uh, no one's shooting at us it's not a bad day i mean loss prevention in america when i did the global role some of the loss prevention teams in america mexico have some challenges but you know, typically in the UK loss prevention circuit, no one's shooting at you. Things are not that bad. It really helps with a resilience and business continuity app. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, uh, fast forward to today, Theoprofitis Retail Group. Now, um, I want to ask you about your day to day and what takes up the bulk of your time. But conscious we have an international audience, not everybody will know what the business looks like. Can you just give me an overview of the brand's Theopathetis, uh, famous for being on Dragon's Den 
here in the UK. But but give me a, a snapshot of the of the business. Yeah, I mean we're we're a chairman owner business, and for any of the audience that's worked in that business, having come from PLCs and co-owned business, in fact, at John Lewis, it's a completely different model. I mean. Theo is a chairman owner and he's heavily involved in the day-to-day business. He's semi-celebrity because of his entrepreneurial status and, as you say, his time on Dragon's Den. And there's three key, key brands. We've got Boo Avenue, which is a lingerie brand, Thinker, Victoria's Secrets type brand with defensive merchandising, uh, a number of stores in the UK, often in prime shopping malls. We've got Robert Dyers, which is a bit weirder. It's a local ironmongering hardware store. It doesn't translate as well to the US market or Australian market because they're small, they're not massive box. They're literally on your high street designed to pop in lots of repeat customers that we've had for years and years and a fantastic heritage. And then we've got Ryman, a stationary brand, you know, your home office on your high street, again, designed for home commuters and local businesses to go and shop in. So three distinctly different brands, all brought together in the Fiopafitas retail group, all have their own independent management structure and some group shared services such as risk and customer care. And so you really, so you operate across, I mean, they are three very, very diverse businesses. I mean, you know, does does one of the three take up the bulk of of your time? I mean, you sit down in the morning, you open up the laptop, you look at the messages that are coming on the phone. I mean, what on earth does a day to day look like when you've got that that portfolio? Yeah, I mean, like like many in loss prevention, profit protection, how we want to phrase it, risk. There is no standard day to day. Robert Dyers is probably the most complex brand from a risk management and a customer care scenario because it sells electronics, uh, small domestic appliances, and it typically has higher cost items with lower margins than, say, lingerie or bra and knickers, where you might be in a well-protected shopping mall and you've got more defensive merchandising. Also, a number of outlets. So there's typically about 193 Ryman stores, 92 Robert Dyers and about 27 Boo stores. So the Ryman stores are the bulk of the estate, but of course, in, in a loss prevention world, you know, the reality is, is kitchen appliances, et cetera, are more desirable than pens and pencils, and it's slightly easier to defensively merchandise. But all the teams do a fab job. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a real challenge in a group role, splitting yourself and satisfying free brand teams, mm. particularly where they're sole focus is growing that brand and they're doing an amazing job coming out of covid and growing the brands uh, really pushing on and and they all see risk and customer care as intrinsic parts of it uh, but obviously part of your job is to influence and educate that actually you can only cut yourself so far and and when you're sort of looking at a strategy i'm guessing whatever goes into robert dias doesn't necessarily work in the other two Brands. I mean, do you literally have to put together a different strategy or can you actually sort of use synergies across the three? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. So I always start with a group strategy. So my, my, my ethos is look at the group level of losses, the group level of risk maturity uh, and where we're at for the three brands together and, and, and do risk assessments and risk prioritization from the risk framework on where we think our biggest risks are. I and mean, if you can imagine in a fashion business and familiar for a lot of your listeners or viewers, you know, you've got higher risks of fire, steam burns, stock challenges. So actually the business continuity, health and safety side for even though there might only be 27 stores becomes really, really important. And our colleagues know that and get that every day. 
Whereas then you flip it to if you're looking at your Sterling loss table of where your red stores or your focus or your spotlight stores are going to be, they're likely to be your Robert Dyer stores, particularly Southern based, London based, often two floor stores. As I said earlier, expensive products that are, you know, craved in the industry um, and easy for shoplifters, sadly, to sell on. So, so you really balance a group strategy and then get your senior board into it and then, and then blend that out to the brands and adjust accordingly. And, and so across that sort of estate, then, what are the sort of specific challenges or projects you're sort of focusing on right now? Is it is it people? Is it process? Are you putting in any new technology in any of those stores? Are you even taking any technology out? I've spoken to a few people who have been pulling tech out. What, what's, what's your sort of uh, area of focus at the minute? I mean, it, it sounds really boring and, and traditional, but it, it starts with people, right? And I, I'm a big fan of that, having been a sales advisor, been a loss prevention associate. It starts with, have we trained our people really well? Are they clear on what we need them to do? And, you know, having worked at John Lewis, uh, where you've got real economies of scale and you've got stores taking hundreds of millions of pounds, that gives you a real opportunity to leverage all the tools in an LP armory, from CCTV analytics to on-site loss prevention. When your store is your local high street store and it's your local convenience size store and it's really quite a small layout, you've got to be really creative because your losses are relatively low compared to a big department store retail outlet. And the cost of technology, the cost of significant investment is high, but your number one asset is your people. And, you know, and we've seen that in the past year as we've focused on greeters because of COVID, for example. And in, for those of you that don't know, in the UK, you're really encouraged to have someone at the front of the store manning occupancy and offering face masks, etc., which are things we did. We saw the shoplifting go down. Of course we did, because we identified habitual fees quick. They were greeting everybody. All the traditional basics that we spoke about in this industry for years suddenly were forced upon you and every store was doing that really well. So to me, my number one priority is training our people, awareness, focus. And then, and then probably number two is how we continue to improve our data analytics, particularly as we see this kind of shift that we've seen into online. And for our brands and for most others, I think they've probably seen a five-year online strategy happen in almost 18 months without any intent. You know, if I reckon most balls, if you sat down and looked at your online sales trajectory for the next five years, just before COVID, you would have you would have been surprised if you hit that level of maturity. Whereas almost overnight, people were hitting that level of maturity and it put strains on the infrastructure. And all right, we've seen some some fallback traditional retailing. But actually, how do we keep online, our online focus on returns, chargebacks, goods lost in transit, you know, even customers that might be using us as a warehouse and buying from us and returning, et cetera. You know, you see all of that. I've seen all of that in my career, not just the TPRG, but um, it is areas of focus. And you mentioned there that, you know, the online and, and sort of some challenges. It's slightly, you know, what was there enough infrastructure there? Could you cope with the demand, or did you find, you know, some retailers found that the online bit broke and had to be fixed quickly, or was there enough building blocks already in place that actually, when the when the taps got turned on, you, you were able to sort of, you know, fulfil? 
We, we were fortunate that, I mean, Boo's always been a great online business. It, it's been fantastic. It sits firmly with our target demographic. Dyers has been growing, uh, growing significantly over the past five years. Rhyme is a bit tougher. It's a bit tougher. You know, people, people prefer stationary in person. Uh, so, but we did have the right framework. Like anybody, we did find periods where, you know, we had to dampen demand a little bit. And that's when you, you sit in a ballroom and you talk about how much you want to spend on pay-per-click marketing, whether you want to offer, extend your lead times out to, and you, you, you know, it's tough as a retailer when you're sitting there going, hold on a minute. It's the equivalent of, we've got too many customers coming through the door to serve today. Let's shut the door. You know, most retail businesses the world over, other than, you know, in the old days of Black Friday in the US, don't do that. You go, let them come and we'll find out how we serve them. But of course, you, you do need a level of infrastructure. But generally, we, we held up really well. Um, and, and that's the benefit of being a small lean business. You know, we, we were able to have daily calls with our exec team where we were making on the fly decisions about what we're doing and how we're splitting our infrastructure and what we're focusing on. Uh, yeah. And did you see just one more on that, you know, new risk challenges appear that maybe you hadn't thought of or were you constantly having to react to, to, to new risks during the pandemic and as online sales grew, you know, in terms of, you know. Yeah, yeah you know, yes is the one word. I mean, uh, the, the risk, maybe not traditional risks. I mean, I, I've been in the business, I think, six weeks when we were told to close our stores and, you know, then I've gone from being relatively new to chairing a crisis call with our exec team every single day. Uh, and, you know, we all saw it. I mean, the, the prime minister would stand up and announce something that none of us knew that took effect the next day. So I think speed and agility really shone through. And the individuals that were able to do with, deal with change quickly and organisations all reacted and really well. And then speaking to peers in industry, it's amazing because you lost you lost the mid management decision making and you just got straight to what's got to be done. But yeah, I mean, it presented new risks every single day. From how do you keep your warehouse infrastructure running and all your staff safe, secure? How do you get them to and from work if they've got concerns? Right through to you know, can we trade this store on this day um, or? in some instances what store are we going to trade today if we've got a staffing challenge yeah it was uh, and, and i guess you know like you say having a smaller leaner business you weren't having to bypass so many layers you could just get straight to the decision making process and you know we saw you know a number of retailers almost go into paralysis at times because you've got these layers of management that just are all different priorities and then just nothing was happening so i guess from that point of view it was Dare we use the word exciting, but it, you, know, you were able to react and make the best for, for staff and the business, I guess, all the way through. Yeah, I mean, Theo's been 100% clear throughout our colleagues come first and our customers. And, you know, and that's not just buzzwords. I mean, it is our, our chairman and owner that sits on a call and tells me, no, we're not doing that. We're doing this to protect our colleagues. I mean, at the start of the pandemic, we could open Robert Dyer's. We, as an ironmongery retailer, it was in the legislation that we could open, but we made the decision to keep our stores closed, keep our staff furloughed, and we were supporting that beyond the government's base furlough, because until we understood the landscape, we didn't want any of our colleagues at risk. And, you know, there's some big decisions that you, that you make and you weigh up uh, and but you stay true to your values as an organization and as a chairman and owner business and to your values if you're chairman and owner yeah and i guess when you've got 
you know, somebody as well known as Theo as the chairman and owner. Unfortunately, he's probably, you know, potentially have a, a target on his back as well. So you've got to be super cautious because, you know, if people were looking to, to attack somebody's decisions when you've got a well-known individual heading up the business whose name's over the door of the group as well. You know, it, 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 I guess it yeah. makes for a As I often say, it does change the likelihood of some of our risks uh, occurring on a global kind of risk register because you have a well-known celebrity owner. Um, so things like reputational damage become more important. And as you say, you, you become potentially more of a target for yeah. certain types of risks materialising. Now, I want to talk to you about influence. And it, you know, I think you've probably got a direct line to the board, but you've operated at the top of a number of global retailers. So I want to sort of get some insight from you about perhaps how you operate at that level and some top tips. But before we do, uh, in time-honoured fashion, just going to take a quick 30-second break and hear from our sponsors. And then when we come back, I'll pick your brains. The top people from the top organisations with the latest thinking about the best strategies to use in the greatest industry on earth, retail. The Retail Conference from the Retail Bulletin, exclusively at Retech Europe, 8th and 9th of November. Search The Retail Conference for more details. So welcome back to this week's edition of the Retail Risk Podcast. I am, of course, still talking to Mark Crowley, Group Director of Risk and Customer Care at the Opafitis Retail Group. Now, Mark, just before that brief break, I alluded to the fact that uh, you, know, you are well known for operating at the top of uh, Arcadia Group and Gap and Burberry, John Lewis, and now uh, Theo Papitis Retail Group. But one of the things that, that many people raise and we hear in our conferences around is how do you influence at board level, senior management level to get what you want? You know, what are your top tips? You know, you've consistently done it. You know, your CV runs you know, extended stays at some big demanding brands and you've rolled out some amazing projects over the years. People talk highly of you, so you must be doing something right. But, but how do you go about getting what you want? Mark Crowley sits there and thinks, I need this widget or this tweak to our HR policy. Where do you start? What, what's your top tip? In all honesty, Paul, I think the first thing is, if you think about getting what you want, you're already on a hiding to nothing. Because what, what I always think about is genuinely, what does the business need or what do the people working for me need to have a, a better job, shall we say, or an easier, safer job? And, and I think if you can align to one of those values to start with, you, you're, you're going to have passion, fire and energy, which shines through in your interaction, which, you know, that will mean that when you're talking to people, you will have conviction, you'll you have tenacity. And, and I think it's a really important one because I often sit with people and, you know, no shortage of vendors in our space. Well, I want to I have that. Well, why do you want to have it? What's the problem you're trying to solve? And does it really pay back if it's a financial one? Or if not, is it making our colleagues and customers' life safer, better? And if the answer to those is no, you, you've really got to consider, is it what you as an individual want? Because I want lots of things. I don't have them all. Uh, but some of the stuff that I really want for the business and, you know, in a previous company, let's say it was body worn cameras 
or at the time an e-learning platform to pilot of, of, of a different nature. And when you're passionate that that's going to make your customers, colleagues, whoever it is, life better, and you truly believe that, then I think you're going to have a different attitude. Because then you can align it to something. You can align it to actually, if I take, I was recently talking about shrinkage reduction, and I was presented to a leadership team, and I said, this is worth X percent of your EBITDA growth in this year. So this isn't something I want to do. This is something that if we're all to achieve our EBITDA number this year, this is X percent of that. And it wasn't a small percent. It was a, a meaningful chunk. So I think understanding why you want what you want is really important and understanding, therefore, how you're going to sell it into the business. And, and the other piece I'd be is if it's going to cost money, you've got to be financially astute. You've got to understand the commercial impacts and whether something is worth doing because otherwise you'll risk accepting it. You know, all too often I hear and I talk to people and they say, I've launched this initiative. It's cost me, let's say 50K. And I'm like, well, how much, how much shrinkage, stock loss, whatever language you want to use, does it save? Well, well I don't know. Well, could you, if you've done a control group, a non-control group, have you really thought about if, if someone, and Theo is famous for this, if you're going to spend £50,000 of my child's inheritance, <laughs> am I going to get a return for it? And if not, why would you do it? You know, And in some instances, it might be because it stays true to our values, because it protects our colleagues, our customers. It might be because we it's a lost leader. But for me, it starts with understanding the value you're going to bring to the organisation of that, understanding how you can translate that into someone else's language or benefit you know so again presenting recently and i'm going out actually with one of our, our regional directors to some of our stores and i'm talking about stock availability the ability to click and collect and fulfill within an hour based on not having missing items in their key stores i'm talking about the cost of replenishment and range counts actually the stock loss number on its own is the smallest part of that price the prize is in the value chain that's separate around it. And, and people understand that. And then I think they think you're a rounded business operator, which you become. And, and I think that's really important. I think all too often in, our, in any specialism, you, you can become a quite a one-trick pony. And I think it's really important that you can talk the business language, understand the commercial commerciality. And, and to a degree, it's how I've ended up with customer care under me. Right, yeah. And, and as I was going to, yeah, because you're right. So often, you know, certainly a few years ago, the loss prevention team was the no team, wasn't it? It was just like, no, no, no. Sales prevention, right? Is yes, that's right. Yeah. And, and so you mentioned after six weeks in the business, you were hosting the crisis call every morning. You've now got customer care. So I'm guessing, you know, you've gone, you've got the group risk director title, but you're picking up a whole raft of, of other broader parts of the business. So is it fair to say, you know, is it more of the retailing bits as well as the risk bits are now coming into your... Yeah, I mean, yeah. customer care is um, the equivalent of a group customer service function. Um, so what, one of the pieces that I was looking at during COVID and everything else was the risk of reputational damage from poor customer service and a poor customer experience. And, you know, you start investigating that and looking into it and, and you start, soon learn there's some pretty transferable skills, right? It's about people. Okay, well, we spoke about that earlier on, how important getting people, and I have no joke, our customer care centre has been renovated, we've got a new academy training team, we've got leadership brought in, 
it wasn't a great environment, right? And if you, if someone's going to be serving your customer, you want them being happy and loved and feeling great, right? That that's not a loss prevention thing. That's a, a business basic. So you, you work out to people, and then it's well, have you got the, the training and the processes, right? Well, hold on a minute. This starts to sound like how we train our management team to run an effective shop from an operations perspective. And then you go, have you got the monitoring and compliance and interventions, whether it's just coaching, development, disciplinaries in some instances, investigations. So it's a real similar set of frameworks. And I think, you know, what FIO and our board are great at doing is they recognise the skills of individuals as well and, and, and the competencies, because it isn't necessarily about the specialism. It's about what tools you need to deliver your specialism. And of course, you know, and actually I had a consultant help me for a short period because I don't have the tacit loss prevention experience that I've got from working from the sales floor to fraud to area management and to, to global management. Whereas, so, so I bought some of that expertise and, and that's really important too, which is if you recognize that you've got a gap, you know, that's okay. Plug it with some experience and some yeah. people that can help you uh, and, and never stop learning, right? And, and, you know, you, you summarize that. So, you know, I'm, I'm listening to all of that and, and that, you know, that approach is a million miles away from, you know, a group risk director 20 years ago who may well have actually done his or her stint on the, you know, in the, the military at that point, you know, much more collaborative. What do you, what, is there two or three qualities that you think are a modern risk director needs to continue to operate at the very top of the industry because i suspect they've changed quite a lot in a fairly short period of time i think the the first one is kind of agility and change management right i mean the only thing we know for sure is that things are going to continue to change and and, and you know the toughest i think ways of working in loss prevention or when people are wedded to the it's what we've always done or here's how we've always done it you know Every and we, we 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 know this as a fact in our organisation. Unless something is a legal or safety requirement, every one of our policies or processes have been come up internally, and often it's our policies and processes that stop us doing whatever it is from the macro kind of group level to an individual store. Well, well, we control that, so we've really got to think about: Are they still right? Is everything right for to, for today's environment? And you know, unfortunately, I, in, in all of my recent roles, I've, I've made some team changes to to support that because structures become outdated, roles and responsibilities, and and the best people are the people that just embrace that and get on with change and adapt to the business strategy and direction. Um, I think there's a level of resilience. You, you know, you've got to be resilient. You you know, I'm probably the only one. That, that constantly delivers Theo bad news, right? You know, I've got customer care and I've got risk management. I'm genuinely not sitting there going, I grow screw sales by 10% last week because of X, Y, and Z, or I found a hundred new products to launch, right? So you've got to be pretty resilient. By the way, though, there, there is ways, uh, our payment forward specialist, the, the manager we've got, we talk about how much we increase sales by reducing decline rates, right? So there is ways back to how you articulate it. But so I think, Change, resilience, and, and I think tenacity. You know, you've got to have the courage of your convictions and tenacity to follow things through, regardless of whether they're right, wrong for you personally, because they're right for the business or the business owner, chairman, board want you to deliver that, right? And and I think if you've got them three attributes, you're doing well. The, the one I think that all modern professionals need to be 
is Numera and, and be able to use tech, right? I mean, you, we, we've got stores where we FaceTime, we can dial into our store CCTV. I get sales reporting every couple of hours. I look at insight intense. We, we use data to detect dishonesty. Of course we do. Um, so, so I think you, you, you underpinning all of that, you've got to be Numera and you've got to be a little bit tech savvy. It doesn't mean you've got to be the greatest one that can write the most conditional strange formulas. There's people that can do that. If you can't use Excel, PowerPoint, and FaceTime and stuff, you really should push yourself um, and stay up with technology. Because let's be honest, there's always new emerging technology that fraudsters will use, our colleagues will use, and we need to understand it to manage the risk. Yeah, you're you're right. You know, some uh, and and you know the the bad guys and girls, you know, they are very collaborative, aren't they? And they are sharing information, yeah, you know, openly. Whereas sometimes, you know retailers keep themselves in in silos i know you've been you know brilliant at sharing your knowledge with the with the wider retail community and and hopefully taking in as well but yeah it's a it's a constant challenge now you touched on there staying abreast of technology um one question for you then what what's your one piece of go-to lp risk technology what, what's your go-to magic if you like that uh that is the, the sort of the the fallback is the one thing that you always go to i don't think there is because i think it's an array of tools that you use given on the scenario the the, the thing i always start with when i join a business is give me the data on your risks your incidents your stock loss your write-offs your accidents show me the data so i can build a pattern and then keep drilling down into that data to epos transactional data online transactional data goodwill because what your colleagues and customers are doing will tell you a story matched up against those metrics. And then I always like to overlay other metrics like, you know, how many FTE do we have? What's the square footage? I could tell you here and now whether our two floor stores lose more than our one floor stores and what market towns, because then when we're having conversations, they're informed conversations, which is if you're looking at two properties and they're the same square footage, but one's over two floors, one's on one, I can have a conversation with our property team that goes, look, you might pay a little bit more rent on this one, but actually we're going to get it back in staffing and loss rates, right? So back to how you influence it. I'm a big fan of use the facts. We're one of the few areas of the business that does have facts. Um, you know, I implemented Agen uh, at John Lewis and we saw a handsome return based on that. And it was really evident to see. And, and so you use the facts as, as near as we've got them to, to influence business decisions. Fascinating there that, you know, involved in, you know, property and leases and having input over one or two floors. I guess that's when you add value to all of the departments you get invited into those conversations opposed to just being the the guy that gets the phone call about you know do we put eas in this store or not yeah yeah exactly and it, it's about looking at it from the rounded commercial lens right and, and as i say feeding back and not being like you can't have a two-floor store because it loses well hold on a minute we're losing 10 grand a year more, but we're saving 50 grand in payroll and rates, then that would be a commercial win if, if that's the business. Yeah. I'd come back to though, as long as you're happy, that our colleagues are going to see an increased crime in that. So there's yeah, yeah, different yeah. metrics. Now, look, final question. Um, diverse group, online and stores. How do you see the future for your business? Is there more store openings on the horizon? Is it grow the 
e-com is the new channels to market coming online is the new risks that you think we all need to be aware of how do you see the the future of your business and maybe also you know the future of you know retail markets that you operate in as well I think um, it's going to be a combination of all the above, in all honesty, Paul. And let's not be sitting on the fence because I rarely do. Um, I think we'll, online is going to continue to grow. They, there's no getting away. I think Jeff Bezos supposedly said it years ago, unless it's one of them untrue quotes. Customers are always going to want quicker delivery and cheaper pricing, right? There's just no getting away. We're in a world where your smartphone is so knowledgeable, it's unreal. Uh, so I think speed of delivery is going to be continue to become important and e-commerce is going to become more and more prevalent in our business. Um, I think, you know, we're going to continue to adopt uh, a more multi-channel approach because traditionally we probably have had more stores than online. Mm. We've not been as great at blending the two. We've got a number of dual stores where we've got Ryman and Robert Dyers trading together because um, there's some product synergies, some customer synergies as we unpick data and look at our customer groups. I think we'll continue to do that. Robert Dyers doesn't have a store north of Sully Hall, which for your global listeners is, is about halfway up the country in the mid Midlands. So there's definitely opportunity for us to look at more dual stores and how we open that. Uh, Boo Online continues to grow. We've got good interna international plans uh, with our partners. And, and I think, I think you know, we, there's an opportunity if the right stores come up for us in Boo. I think we're uniquely placed on the high street because we are very much a localized high street retailer, not an apparel on your high street big store. So, so we're quite well placed to take advantage of opportunities and having an entrepreneur owner, um, they're always looking for opportunities. Yeah. And who knows what brand might uh, make its way into the portfolio in the future as well. I guess that's always something that uh, uh, could happen at, at a minute's notice. Yes, definitely. <laughs> So, look, um, Mark, always a, a pleasure. Absolute fabulous insight. I'm delighted that, uh, that your portfolio and remit continues to grow. I think that really is the way for risk directors to continue to grow their influence and the influence of this sector. But for now, it's been an absolute pleasure. I look forward to seeing you in person at the next Retail Risk sometime in the near future. But for now, Mark Crowley, thank you very much indeed. Thanks very much, Paul. Take care.